Welcome to Season 8 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Passionate about leadership education? You want to expand your resource toolbox with practical teaching, learning, and program design strategies? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Hi, and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. In our eighth season, we've decided to focus on research and scholarship in the field. We've been asking the question, where do leadership educators go for research? This season, we've talked to journal editors, editors of publications for practitioners, leadership scholars, and even peer reviewers, all with that same question. Initially, we actually interviewed Dr. Tony Andonaro and Dr. Kristen Salente Scandell about their leadership on the National Leadership Education Research Agenda. What sparked from that conversation was an exciting idea where Dan and I said, why not talk to all of the leaders of the priorities? Um, we know it's important to support the research in the field. We had the bandwidth and space. And so we reached out to all of the teams asking if they could, if they had authors or co-authors who wanted to come on and talk about their experience, but then also about their leadership topic. The National Leadership Education Research Agenda 2020 to 2025 was published in volume 14, issue number three of the Journal of Leadership Studies. And we'll, of course, put those links in our show notes. Yeah. And one of the things we had observed over the last few years is there there wasn't, I guess, as much showcasing of this important work at some of the professional association conferences that, that we had been attending. And um, sometimes it's it's hard to get on uh, some of these uh, agendas or programs. And so, uh, you know, that kind of got to this point of Lauren and I going, well, uh, if not if not them, then I guess uh, we'll take over this responsibility and make sure that there's some uh, you know artifacts and these this digital footprint of these podcasts that folks can go back and and access. And so, um, just as a as a refresher, so the purpose of the National Leadership Education Research Agenda, or the NALERA, as we like to call it, was to provide this roadmap for future research in leadership education uh, developed by a group of leadership scholars and practitioners from various fields. I think there were 50 or 60 corresponding authors across the nine priorities. Uh, the intent of the project was to guide researchers, grad students, in identifying important areas of inquiry, developing research questions, and perhaps hopefully designing studies that would contribute to the understanding an improvement of leadership education. And that agenda culminated in nine priorities that uh, will hopefully inform the future practice and development of the next generation of leaders. So today we're speaking with authors from Priority 3, which is titled Understanding the Leadership Learner. And we've got Dr. Barry Boyd, who's an Associate Professor of Agricultural Leadership, Education, and Communication at Texas A&M University. And Dr. Amy Forbes, uh, the Director of Strategic Custom Live Programs at Cornell University. Uh, welcome to the show, Barry. Oh, well, thank you, Dan. Thank you for having me. Glad that you're here and welcome to the show, Amy. Thank you so much. Really excited. I'm excited to dive into the conversation. And it's funny because, uh, Barry, I think you're one, I, I think I was, somebody like dared me to approach you at a uh, at my first ALE conference because at the time you were the editor of the journal Leadership Education. And we had, I had just had something except I think it was, I had just had something like like a revise and resubmit for the first thing I had ever had the opportunity to, to publish. And 
and Joel um, and somebody just point. I think it was the opening reception and somebody was like, hey, I think that's Barry. They're like, I dare you to go introduce yourself. <laughs> and so, which was just kind of a funny thing. And so, but I was a grad student still. And so I had the nerves of uh, talking to a journal editor. And so, but uh, you were very generous and very pleasant and welcoming and glad that we've had a chance to interact over, over the years back and forth and always a friendly face at, at conferences for sure. And I don't know if I've ever been to an ALE where I haven't seen you yet seen you there. So all good times. Let's see. So the focusing on the leadership learner, it's interesting because for this priority, this was also something that was emphasized in the previous leadership education research agenda, you know, really focusing on like the learner and the students versus leadership educators. At least that's a, that's the focus of this priority from the research that I've done. um, I found, you know, we know very little about like our learners experience learning leadership, both short and long-term. And maybe we know just a little bit more about leadership educators' perceptions of that, as well as what they do in the classroom. I guess in any case, there's a lot to unpack here um, and plenty of room for more inquiry in this area with those uh, elusive students of ours and learners. And so um, I'm curious, how how did y'all get involved with this specific priority and project? Well, you know, the call for proposals went out uh, through various communication methods. And I just, you know, I let's put a plug in. Let's see uh, if, if they think what I think is important is worthy of being part of the, uh, the the next five years of what kind of research we do. And, uh, I, you know, it was just my proposal got picked. And, uh, and then Tony and Kristen uh, put me with three other great individuals that put together this, this particular priority. And that's how I remember it too. I, I submitted an abstract and um, as did the other co-authors. And I think there was some shared likeness about each ab- abstract. So they grouped us together. And so from a technical writing standpoint, like I think we had to sort of shape what we wanted to do from the beginning because each of us were coming at it from a different abstract perspective. And I look back on it in preparation for speaking to you today. And I, and I'm like, well, it's not half bad. What we, what we ultimately came to, um, isn't that interesting, um, for people that didn't know each other very well, um, wildly different viewpoints, different institutions and sort of different backgrounds. And we were committed to this piece about leadership learners, um, and how very much so on college campuses, they all come to us in different places and spaces. And as a field, we need to be receptive to, to that. And I think that's what we tried to accomplish, um, again, coming at it from um, these original ab- abstracts that we had to form, you know, formally move through because um, the priority asked for certain questions that we were trying to, trying to accomplish. Yeah. You know, I know that um, it was interesting because I know what I, I was part of one of the other nine priorities and you know, what I submitted, I think maybe a paragraph uh, survived, you know, after being put with us, you know, a group of co-authors. So I'm curious for y'all, like, you know, what, what about your prior work led you to submit something about the leadership letter and kind of how did what you originally submitted evolve into what this collaborative priority culminated into? I shared this with Barry. So he, he's, he's heard this before, but he, um, I was dissatisfied at first with what we submitted. I, I felt like we, um, opened up more questions that we were even asked to handle. 
um, looking back two years later, um, and reviewing it, like I, I come at it with, a um, that's sort of the purpose of leadership research. Like, um, of course we didn't get to, um, unpack all the questions that came up, but collectively as a group, um, we focused in on, and one of our sections, I think, um, does a, a nice job of offering some substantial models for leadership learners. And then a piece, um, I know I, I look um, a little bit about some of my experiences at the University of Vermont and my advisor there, Robert Nash, had a big influence on me. And, and this piece about cycles was, got into um, ultimately what we submitted um, so that we don't just rely on stages, phases, and vectors um, that pigeons our students into particular spaces. And it gives the idea that you complete a stage and then you automatically move to another. And we all know, I think that it's not that linear all the time. And, and so um, I, one of the items that I remember um, learning about as a doctoral student was this that we often um, span meaning-making cycles. And I think that um, has helped me as I approach leadership learners in my own work as an educator, um, that we spiral through these different stages of meaning and how we build on top of one another. And, and oftentimes we meet them as four-year college students. And so many of what worked about this group of authors was we were all coming at it from different programs um, Barry on the curricular side and then myself and Asia and Christina more so from the co-curricular side. Um, and we were able to offer like the, this is how you can meet leadership learners at very different places in their development and that um, these models do assist us, but we should be open to some other thinking is, is what I remember most about some of the contributions. And I'll let Barry yeah. add. So, as, as far as why I got involved, uh... You know, it's, it's really selfish. You know, I, I've seen at our university, but then as I do, as I've done more research, I've seen this is a pretty widespread problem that, um, you know, employers want students that can think critically and are ethical people, ethical leaders. And AA and CU, uh, every two or three years, does an employer survey. And every year they say, well, this is what we want. And we're not getting it from universities. And so very selfishly, you know, I put in my proposal that I think we need to look more at how do we develop ethical leaders and, uh, crit and critical thinkers. And so, you know, when my my proposal got matched with uh, the other four other three proposals, uh, I really like uh, Amy said, you know, I really thought, wow, these are four really diverse proposals here. How do we fit together? But the more uh, research we did together, the more talking we did. Uh, you, know, you can see it really did fit to coming at the uh, leadership learners from uh, three or four really different perspectives. So I was I was kind of tickled after we got this done saying, wow, that was a, that was a pretty cool experience. But I, I submitted my proposal just purely out of selfish reason. We appreciate your selfishness because I feel like there was a lot of folk, there were there were things definitely in the outcome that resonated. Like Barry, you talked about that authenticity and that um, the ethical leadership part. And I love that. So I, I just did this activity. I teach a class called leading groups and team building. And for the virtual chapter, I'm never excited. I love the book, but I'm never excited about the contents of that chapter. Cause I feel like they don't, 
they're not helpful because the technology piece is out of date by the time it comes to print, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I created this activity where I split them up into three groups and I have them either use text message or use um, their cell phones or no technology. And I send them on the scavenger hunt. And when they come back, they've answered the questions. However, I talk to them about working together and I only read them the, the questions. So the hints I give them for the scavenger hunt, they're not printed anywhere um, to surface some of those ethical challenges that you face. Like mm-hmm. they, they, ask a question and they didn't hear it in the instructions, but they can't prove that they didn't hear it in the instructions, but it gets kind of to that authenticity and that um, ethical piece. What do you now do when you have to confront the person in power? And and there's a mythical prize um, and they want to win it. But then we talk about, we all, all met the criteria, but you really didn't exceed the criteria. And it ends up being this really rich discussion. And at the end, it's, we're teaching students to be courageous. And I feel like what I got from, from, you know, understanding leadership learner is it's not just about, you know, knowing yourself, it's about the actions you're taking in relationship to other folks and, and really pushing that and creating these scenarios in class where they can go through it. They have the experience and then we can come back and talk about it because by the end of it, they say, you know, I would tell you, I'll ask more questions. And I'm like, but y'all didn't ask questions. Like, what are you doing? And because we've created this safe learning space, I can push them a little bit, but, but like it, to me, it feels like those are more meaningful than me clicking through 10 slides on virtual teamwork that point to some of these um, concepts on the front end. I can then go back and say, so in this base, your process doesn't match your type of technology. And it, it makes sense why you couldn't make these decisions. And so it feels like finally, the literature is really catching up with what some of us that are immersed in teaching really know about leadership education. So I appreciate your selfishness because I was feeling it too. You just put it down in a proposal and y'all, y'all, y'all may put it in writing for us. Um, but it makes me think about in your experience, you talked a little bit about how y'all had four different perspectives and you made them work. Like, how did you do that within yourselves? Like, how did you choose what to sacrifice and who was in charge? And like, can you explain that experience a little bit for us? Well, uh, Tony asked me to kind of lead the group, uh, but I, I'm more of a, you know, let's sit back and uh, let everybody contribute to it. And I think uh, as we talked and kind of framed how we wanted, what we wanted this thing to say, I, I think we just all individually said, uh, this is the most important thing I want to get into the into the document. These things, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll not talk about these things. Uh, because they just right now they're, they're not the most important. And I think all four of us wanted to get our most importance into the document and that they they meshed really. And so I, I think everybody just kind of provided self-leadership on what I'm what I'm going to fight for in this article and what I'm saying, okay, this is I, I remember I think Barry's right. Like he he was lead and and did a really good job of making sure that all voices got heard. Um and then I think as authors, I think we recognized that we were in a situation where we would have to compromise some of our initial viewpoints um, and for the piece to flow better. Um, and so if you'll note, like, I think we really came to how do we develop more authentic, ethical and socially responsible leaders. And that's how we kind of knitted together, if you will, each of the perspectives that came to the table originally. Um, that's not an exhaustive list, but that's that's what originally um, 
each of the authors sort of were thinking about when they submitted their original abstracts. It's interesting. I mean, in having four authors to all throw into the into the gumbo uh, versus, you know, <laughs> every writing team is different. So I'm curious too, what were some of the things that perhaps y'all learned about yourself as as leaders and as leadership educators, as you were uh, piling through this different perspectives and developing yourselves through this writing project? Wow, Dan, you asked deep questions. <laughs> <laughs> no apologies, Barry, no apologies. <laughs> I, I can offer something. I, I learned from Barry, I think. Barry um, pushed the agenda and one of one of the critical questions and and then it came out in one of our recommendations was um, we have this expansion of leadership programs in higher ed, you know, whether it's majors, minors, certificates, or co-curricular programs. And yet we still have inauthentic, unethical, and social people that are not socially responsible leaders, especially in the working world. So why is that disconnect still there? I think for me, I was, I was very head down and focused on my four-year experiences with my students, particularly why I was at Hobart and William Smith for 11 years as a leadership educator. I've switched roles since, and I'm now at Cornell in executive education. And so the most popular topic we get is still leadership. Um, but the audience has changed for me. They're all professionals. Um, so I look back on this priority. And again, I think Barry kind of pushed this agenda. Um, why are we not better about tracking our alums and seeing what they're carrying with them as college students into their working lives um, shouldn't there be substantial gains if we have these critical programs expanding at, at the college setting? Um, but why is it not translating into the working world? Like still a major question for me. And it was a big learning moment, but I'm, I'm glad that Barry was on board to sort of insert that we should be asking that question. And it comes out in one of our recommendations that programs really need to track their alums five, 10, even 20 years out if the field is going to benefit um, from understanding, are we doing what we say we're doing as far as developing leaders? Well, real quick before you jump in, Barry, that is such a theme in our field, this idea of like, where are our alumni, A, and B, why aren't we tracking them and, and doing longitudinal research on the benefits or lack thereof? Like you all write five, 10 or 20 years out, right? And like, I've only still heard of, I think I can count on one hand, the, the institutions that I know are doing this work and of those, most are doing it well, but there are some that say, oh yeah, we have all this data for years and years and we talk for alumni, but I don't have the skills to do, you know, a statistical, or do you know anybody that might be able to help, you know? And then you're like, oh my gosh, just the, the, the sheer magnitude of like, if somebody were to send you 20 years of data from, and who knows what type of surveys they've been using or, or have they been interviewing them or, or some could have had, could have great data, you know, just like stockpiles of rich, rich stuff. And, but, um, you know, this idea of like resourcing institutions to track their alumni being so important and having a plan for assessment. And those are without a doubt, probably two of the most difficult and challenging things to emphasize, not just 
financial resources, but human capital in any leadership program, whether it be curricular or co-curricular. I'm not sharing that as an excuse. I'm just kind of sharing that as the reality. And and um, yeah, I mean, it's it's even more that emphasis that y'all made. It's it's as true today as it was when the last research agenda came out. And uh, I hope there's some response in the field, right? Barry? You know, I I know why we don't do it. There's two reasons, I think. One, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. This longitudinal research is difficult. And, uh, you know, tracking down your alumni, knowing where they are, what they're doing, and collecting the data, and uh, it's just an enormous task. And if you think about most of the faculty, uh, you know, they're, they're pursuing tenure, they're pursuing promotion. And so that type of research probably isn't appropriate because you've got to publish and get grants and uh, meet certain metrics uh, in a five, six, seven year time period. Um, I think that's probably the two reasons we don't do a lot of London. Now, that being said, uh, old guys like me, uh, probably there's not any excuse why I haven't pursued. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm beyond needing to worry about that. And uh, I absolutely could have. Why don't I? It's hard. I'll be honest. But that's something I've been thinking about in the last six months or so is how can we do it? Why don't we do it? But again, you know, that resourcing, that takes that takes some resources to be able to do that. You're so right when you say it's hard. Plus, we might have to face the fact that that we were wrong or we were slightly off or, you know, in the same way we give our students grace for as they're learning to develop leadership, if we could give ourselves that grace. Um, I'll say anecdotally from one of my experiences, and this is one of the things I learned from my students, um, they like they understand inclusion and diversity, like those topics. So they understand leadership. They're looking to the adults in the room to model it. And when they don't see it, they question in their knowledge. And so a lot of my conversation is how do you do this thing that you believe to be true? Um, how do you, almost how do you manage up or how do you lead up? Um, and, and those are more of the conversations. And I wasn't prepared as a leadership educator for those conversations. I was prepared to come in with my little slides and say, this is transformational leadership. And here are the steps, you know, and walk through some of that. And they're like, no, 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 no. We know that we've watched Marvel comic. We've watched all these movies. We know that you got to teach us how do we be courageous and brave in the face of all of that. When we're looking at folks who are supposed to teach us how to be in this space and they're not modeling it. So if I had to sum it up, modeling and meeting, meaning, um, and, and I feel like if we can pursue that path, we'll get closer to the, the better leaders for sure. Um, and I hope we haven't taken too long to do that. I'm not sure as, as educators that we do a great job of teaching them how to operationalize these theories when they get out into the working world. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think another, re I just happened to think of this, but I think another reason maybe we don't do these longitudinal studies is we're afraid we might find out we're not doing a great job. Mm -hmm. uh, but what happens if they say, no, I learned more on my job about leadership than I learned in your degree. What do we do then? So. Ah. I, th I think teaching them how to operationalize that out in the real world uh, is something I know that in my department we can. Yeah, I, I, if it helps, I, like I, I lovingly have. There's a woman who um, 
she's like a, um, um, she is a mentor for me and a role model. Her name is Dr. Tracy Weiss, and she's been in training and development for a long time, but she's moved into leadership education. And she kind of made it okay when I was coming in and starting to teach to have the theory, but to also have the practice as well. She does a great job juggling the both of those things. And one of the things that I learned from her um, and again, like she's now, I think she's like 72 or 73. She's been teaching online virtually for years, can run asynchronous and synchronous with no problem. So, you know, when people want to talk about older professors and technology, I'm like, nope, Tracy has it. So everybody can do it. Um, not realizing how fortunate I've been to be in that space. But one of the things I appreciate about her, she's always trying to bring it into the classroom. Like, so that when they, like, I told my students yesterday, I want your inner purple unicorn, like alarm to go off when you see a moment that resembles something we've talked about in these simulations. Um, I used to say the word trigger, but with the way our country is, I didn't want to use that language. So I switched to a flashing unicorn to feel a little bit safer. But I said, I want that to go off so that you know, okay, no, Professor Bullock talked to us about this. Let me think about kind of what's happening in these decisions. And I said, that to me matters more than you memorizing the names of these theories. Like if you can't go out into practice and it was really her modeling that for me as a junior faculty member that made me feel confident enough to do it. But you're right. Like we, we talk about these things, but it feels like this priority is really pushing us to demand those kind of things from, from, from leadership educators, both in practice and in scholarship. I really resonate with that. Like I um, have been talking with colleagues um, recently uh, um, about how as a faculty member, when you're in a leadership oriented class, sometimes you have to um, resist the urge to wield all your content. Like I know we all have been there where we're really excited about laying down some foundational theory or, or models or, or the like. Um, when I'm finding now that the practice is so important, the application, the experience of doing, um, if we, if, if as, as, as Barry is saying, if we really want them to operationalize what we're teaching them, we need to give them that space, especially as college students. And, and we all come at it from different angles. Some of us have, you know, meet with them three days a week for 50 minutes and, um, and how we divide up that time is really important, but the balance, I think, of our discipline between content versus the practice and understanding that as an instructor is really important because that's how they'll go on into the world, we hope, and be able to actualize um, all that they've learned in the college setting. But right now we know that um, even adult learners need that um, they want relevance to their lives and they want time to practice. And some, so therefore, as the instructors, we have to pull back a little bit on the content if we only have so much time with them. And that that was a big lesson that I, I think over the course of my tenure, I, I had to learn. Yeah, totally, totally agree with y'all. Um, you know, with, with that said, um, are y'all aware of any research either out or coming related to the priority that's going to help just advance the priority and the overall agenda? Well, when you guys invited us to be on this podcast, I I sort of went back the last two or three years in uh, the Journal of Leadership Education and Journal of Leadership Studies and just kind of scanned, you know, the titles and some abstracts for what... Uh, to see if people were doing research that applied to this area. And, and I see, yes, they are. Um, a lot of them are on the fringes of this, uh, but this priority uh, 
fewer of them are probably really digging deeply into this priority, uh, but there, there are people using this, this particular priority out there. Uh, as far as citing these, these priorities uh, in their research, saying, you know, hey, this meets this, uh, this particular uh, uh, priority, my research is part of this priority, uh, man, my Google Scholar had like four hits on this article. So I don't think it's being cited, but I see work being done in this area. Yeah. Amy, what about you? Yeah, I, I like, um, you know, I know at times um, we quoted some expert scholars that talked about how, how still so much work there is to be done. But in reality, I, I do think we have made gains, especially around assessment. Like I think like a lot of leadership educators are appreciating whether it's a major minor certificate or a co-curricular program, there needs to be some sort of assessment. Um, and so they are reporting out on that. And so there, there has been some gains. I've seen some good articles regarding that. Um, I don't know, again, from Barry, I don't know that they're doing so because of our priority, but um, some of the recommendations we made, you know, we, we have seen some movement um, but generally as a field, we, we still have a ways to go to be precise and clear and consistent. Um, and I, and as we said earlier, I still think that the, the, the single hardest item is the longitudinal and the tracking. Um, cause that's where we're really going to start discovering some results, like a, whether or not our college programs are doing effective jobs of preparing the next generation of leaders, you know? Yeah. No, totally. And I, you know, one of the things that I, I think may, may be missing this time around that was uh, emphasized, you know, I, I do remember seeing the previous research agenda um, integrated in some calls for proposals for, and uh, particularly for some of the, the big conferences like ALE and ILA over a short, short span. And I think, you know, there's always politics with things. And so getting that into full professional association proposal calls is certainly a challenge. I mean, hopefully this mini series we're doing leads to leads to some of that. And hey, maybe some more hits on your Google Scholar page, Barry. And with any luck, moving the field forward too, if that's okay, Barry. <laughs> so, but I'm curious, I guess just to kind of close this, is there anything we didn't ask you all about? the priority that I'd like to add to this conversation and do you think our listeners would, uh, would, would take away? You know, Dan, I, I still think this priority is a, a pretty high priority. Mm. Um, you know, these young people are coming to us and they have such diverse backgrounds, diverse experiences uh, with leadership and, and just diverse life experiences. And when they hit that first leadership classroom, uh, I, it takes us a while to get to know that that group of students. Uh, I feel like I have to have them in two or three classes before I can really say, okay, now I know who you are as a student and a learner. And uh, I just think we need to keep focusing on this. And, and then we really have got to emphasize assessment a lot more than uh, it seems like assessment's always the, uh, the last thing we do at the last minute when uh, uh, our department calls for, okay, well, you need to assess this particular topic now because we have to report that to the dean and to the provost. Uh, we think of assessment at the very last minute instead of at the beginning of our of these students' careers and how are we going to track and know what they're learning. 
you know, I completely agree with you with the assessment piece. I think sometimes as instructors, especially like I'm, I'm on the NTT track, sometimes we're just worried about being good in teachers and kind of surviving the classroom or surviving the course. And if there are ways in which we can build in that assessment to truly show that what we know is working and the energy we feel in the classroom is translating into something. Um, I, I think about my my favorite comment is, you know, I didn't think this stuff you're talking about in groups mattered, but then I got to my internship or then I got to my job and I actually started, to, I remember you said this and it was helpful. Like that's the biggest compliment I think that any Absolutely. student can get. And how can we capture that, but also get some assessment so we can intentionally plan for it and, and make it more of an organized part of our practice instead of an afterthought related to our publishing or service or or um, like promotion, like all of those things. How can we be kind of do it just to? Um, with that said, um, we thank y'all so much for taking the time to speak with us today. We know that you have busy schedules. And so we're appreciative that you spent an hour with us talking about your priority, um, prior, priority number three, focused on understanding the leadership learner. Um, we appreciate your work and contributions in the field and the valuable insights y'all are sharing and want to wish you best of luck as you end your semesters and move into the summer where hopefully you get a little downtime and get to relax a little bit but appreciate all of your contributions. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators, the Association of Leadership Educators and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.